0: I am, uh, I was just sitting there thinking, (laughs) uh, I'm glad that I am preaching this week and not next because my wife Lisa and I bought ourselves a rowing machine for a Christmas gift and that small jaunt of pushing this might look a whole lot different next week if I'm as sore as I anticipate being. So I'm just glad to be here. You know, it's a fun Sunday pastorally, it's a fun Sunday to just be with you, my church family, because it's one where not only do we get to celebrate the coming of the Messiah as we continue to do that celebration, but it's one where we can look back as a church with gratitude, hopefully, on what 2023 has been, but as Mike said, we also get to look forward with anticipation to some new things in our church family in 2024 and uh, where that's all going to take us. So in order to do that and to help us do that, may I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 62. If you brought a pew Bible, that's page 740. If it's one of the Spanish Bibles, it's page 644. And we'll be reading that in its entirety here in just a second, but I wanted to start by just... Reading verse 4 with you, because as I studied, as I looked at this in the first few times, this was the verse that kind of jumped out at me, because I think it really kind of stands for the theme of what this whole chapter is about, and it's really, if you, uh, we've all gotten used to the sermon in a sentence, well, here's the sermon in a verse. Verse 4 says this, no longer will they call you deserted, or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hazupa, and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. The Lord delights in you. And he claims you as his bride. My sermon in an incomplete, well, I guess it's a complete sense. God finds pleasure in you. God finds pleasure in you. Because when we get That in our heads, which sometimes is more difficult than what we actually realize. When we understand God's love for us, friends, our identity is changed. Our purpose is changed. Our future is changed. Understanding God's love for us changes everything changes everything, and I understand with a group this size, we are all at much different places, I would assume, in our faith journey, in how we're feeling about the last year, in how we're feeling physically. We're just all over the place. For some of us, we feel like we're stuck in this never-ending cycle of, is this going to ever change? Is my life ever going to get turned around? the trials of life, the deserts of life, the tests that God may be giving each of us. Some of us, quite frankly, are just battle-weary. Some of us, our hearts are broken. Some of us are wondering, is it worth staying in the fight? Then there's others in the room That quite frankly, your walk with Jesus, your relationship with Jesus, if you could say it in a sense you're at a sweet spot. And you celebrate that, and that's awesome. But then there's a few I'm guessing, because I saw a quote a few weeks back that just hit me. And I wrote it down, and I wasn't sure when I would ever use it, but it just hit me. And here's the quote, because I think this is where some of us this morning might, just maybe, maybe, where we might be falling in our relationship with Jesus. Listen to this quote, it says, I am satisfied with the church, but I'm bored with Jesus. That's not an easy one to say, maybe even more difficult to admit to. And I'm reminded of when we studied the book of Revelation where Jesus to the church of Ephesus talked about Recover and remember your first love. So no matter where we're at in that spectrum, sweet spot, frustrated in trials, hurting, heartbroken, bored with Jesus, no matter where we're at, can I encourage you today that these words from Isaiah 62 are an invitation to come and encounter the loving heart of the God who made you, a God who loves you. But in order to kind of set the stage for that, I think it's always good to think about context. And it's always fun to kind of look at a couple of previous chapters. And we've read from some of these over the Advent season. Some of them are very familiar, like starting in chapter 60, where it says this. But before we do that, let me, let me do this. Let's remind ourselves very quickly The book of Isaiah is written by the prophet Isaiah to a remnant of people who are frustrated, who have been exiled, their city has been destroyed, there's not much left going on in their life, but there are a few who have remained faithful and that have held out hope. And this is what Chapter 60 says, If you remember, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, the darkness covers the earth and the thick darkness over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Church, as we look forward to 2024, nations will come to your light. Kings. To the brightness of your dawn. And then look at verse 5 in chapter 60. It says, Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To, to you the riches of the nations will come. Then we moved to chapter 61 just a couple of weeks ago. Or Jesus, in his first sermon, as he set off his kingdom ministry, where he read from the first three verses, and it said this, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. Friends, church, we will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. And then we get to chapter 62. Hear the word of the Lord. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and the kings all your glory. You will be called by a new name, that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hepzuppah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Verse 6 says, I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent, day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, and never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it, and praise the Lord. And those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Praise through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, raise the banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemer of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. Friends, remember verse 4. Zufa, which means my delight is in her, and Beulah, which means the bride of God. We are the delight of God. And the bride of God. And friends, God loves us. So what does that look like? Three things that we're going to kind of work our way through. Three things this morning that I think shared in this passage about how God loves us. First, he fights for us. God fights for us. Second, he works in us. And third, he delights in us. First, he fights for us. Isaiah 62 begins with the Anointed One. Much like a couple of chapters ago when we felt like Jesus was the one speaking as the Spirit of God is upon him, I think that the same could be held true for this first in Isaiah 62, where the Anointed One is declaring he will not keep silent. Jesus is determined to. He's determined to speak and act for the sake of his people, that they might be saved, that you might be saved. It's a statement of a Lord who fights. It's a statement of the determination of God. Church, as we head into this new year together, we need to know that when our energy is gone, when we don't feel like we can fight anymore, when we're ready to give up, when the world and society seems to be crumbling around us and it seems to be falling apart, friends, Jesus says this, he will never give up. He will not keep still. He will not stay silent. He will pray for us. He will act for us. He will fight for you. He will fight for you. Look at verse 1. It says he's fighting for Zion's sakes. That's the church. Zion's sake, that's you. And it's all about our righteousness. That our righteousness would go forth as brightness. Remember, righteousness being right with God. That we would be saved. That our salvation would be a burning torch. The picture I have right now, for many of us, we feel like the church is losing its power. And, and again, it's not in trouble. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But it feels like, particularly in North America, because around the world, it's on fire. But in, particularly in our world, it seems like our church is like that bonfire after about four or five hours, and you haven't added any wood to it. Well, there's just a little bit of a few embers that are going. But Jesus says, I will not keep silent. Do you hear the emotion? Do you hear the determination in his words to us, his church? It's a reminder that our Savior prays for us. Hebrews 7 tells us that. It says he's an advocate. He will not stop praying for us until we are brought safely home. Until you are brought safely home, he will not stop. And it's on this foundation, because he's praying, that look at verse 6 with me. It says, I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You will call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. Church, what does 2024 need to look like for us? For one part of it is we are the watchmen. We're the watchmen. We're the ones that speak to God. Our prayers are to give God no rest until a revived church astonishes the world around us. That's got to be our constant prayer, day and night, day and night, praying to God. Because here's the beauty of praying God's promises back to him. It helps us to remember. And as we remember those promises, it reassures us that God can be trusted to keep those promises. So friends, we shall never be silent, day or night. I love that, day or night, calling on the Lord. So what does God's love look like? He's fighting for us. But I want you to hear, he's fighting for you. He's praying for us. But more so, he's praying for you. He will not be silent. Second way God expresses his love for us is that he works in us. He not only wants to rescue us, but he wants to change us. His determination includes a desire to transform us to make us beautiful, to make us radiant to the world around us in his righteousness. Again, that right standing before God because we have his righteousness transferred to us. And look at verse 2. This is where I'm getting this from. Verse 2, the nations will see your vindication. All the kings will see your glory. We will have a visible righteousness seen by a watching world. You've heard this phrase from this pulpit before, changed people change people. Friends, there is a radiance of the people of God as the glory of God changing us, changes us, changes each one of us, individually, corporately. As we are changed, we radiate. There's something that's going on that people notice. I think of Clay's sermon, if you were with us on Christmas Eve, He talked and shared about seeing light, receiving light, and then sharing light. That's what we are called to do. The change he works in us, it says in verse four, changes our name. If you think about it, think about the different times throughout scripture where God changed the name of people. Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. You think about Jacob to Israel You think about Simon to Peter in the New Testament, and certainly Saul to Paul. Every time he did that, that person was put on a new destiny, a new trajectory of their life. Hear the words of the prophet Church, you are no longer called deserted. Your name is no longer the land of desolate. It's not what you are anymore. Your transformation has been worked by the power of God in you. But some of us might be saying, you don't know what I've done. That's exactly what my name is, forsaken. I am hopeless. I am unclean. That's my name. That's who I am. But the Lord comes to each one of us, each one of us at the cross. And he says, I have called you by a new name. Friends, if that isn't enough to get you up and dancing on a New Year's Eve, I'm not sure what can. You are no longer called by what you once were. You are no longer forsaken, no longer desolate. The Lord has changed you. You are no longer defined by your past. I, I, to give you an example of what I'm thinking... I think most of you are probably somewhat familiar with the Toy Story movies. They made four of them. I'm not saying they're the best. They're actually pretty good. Okay, most of the time I cry by the end of them, but they're actually, they're they they're a decent story. But for those who are not familiar with the story, Toy Story premise, basically what happens is that Toys, and here's where it kind of gets nostalgic for those of us who grew up in the 60s and 70s, it's toys we grew up with. It's the little green plastic army men. It's Mr. Potato Head. It's the Slinky. It's a bunch of toys that we all grew up with. And whenever the adults or the people are not around, those toys come to life, and then these toys have these adventures. Well, there's two basic main characters throughout the four movies there is Woody, who's kind of this cowboy character. He's kind of the leader of the gang. And then there's Buzz Lightyear, and he's, I, how do you even describe Buzz Lightyear? But Buzz Lightyear, he's, he's just Buzz Lightyear. You'll have to watch the movies, I guess, if you're not familiar with what I'm, what I'm talking about. But then in the fourth one, Toy Story 4, they introduce someone new. There's a new little girl on the scene. Her name is Bonnie, and Bonnie's heading off to kindergarten, and she's rather unsure about things and she doesn't bring her toys. She's not allowed to bring her toys with her in her backpack. So what does she do? The first, she does, the first day of school, she actually makes a toy out of a plastic spork, fork, whatever it is that's been thrown in the trash. Spoon-fork combo, whatever those things are called. And she puts these googly, she glues these little googly eyes on and it's got some funny little hands and arms and, and legs. But then this toy comes to life whenever Bonnie's not around. Now what's interesting about this toy, his name is Forky, in the movie, he is full of insecurities. He thinks he's trash and not a toy. Which is actually quite understandable, because that's where he came from. And every time, throughout most of the movie, he, every time he gets a chance, he tries to jump back into the trash. Well, Bonnie sees him much differently. Bonnie sees him as a toy. She takes him to bed with her. She loves on him. She just cherishes this new little toy because he's the one that got her through those first days of kindergarten. And he quickly becomes her favorite toy. Well, Woody comes onto the scene, and being the leader and the smart one of the bunch, he tries to convince Forky that Bonnie's love has changed his identity. I think you know where I'm going with this. Some of us. And I had a few conversations with some of my friends after the 8 o'clock service. They shared how they felt much like Forky. Always bringing themselves back to the trash because that's what they remembered. Who they used to be. The devil keeps bringing him back and saying, You need to be in the trash. What are you doing? But much like Forky, I think many of us have no idea how loved and treasured we are by God. Let that change your trajectory. Let that idea change change your life, because he is committed to you. He loves you, he treasures you. Isaiah 62 reminds us that God has given you a new name, which means you, much like the characters throughout scripture, you have a new purpose. He's given you a new life, a new hope, a new future, all by the power of his grace. That's the amazing thing about our God. So I'm going to say it one more time. Your past no longer defines you. God has given you a new name. Then I ran across something in verse 3 that the first multiple times I read this, it just blew right by me. Look at verse 3. It says, you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God." The picture that Isaiah is painting for us there is not us wearing the crown, but that we actually are the crown. I missed that the first multiple times. We are the crown in the king's hand, which gives us dignity, which gives us worth, which gives us value. We are precious to the king. God is committed to changing us, friends. His love is making us glorious. His will for us as a church is that we would shine in his righteousness. So that when people see our love, when people see our unity, or as we talked about a couple weeks ago, when people see us building each other's walls up, all of that would glorify God. And here's where I get excited. I'm kind of an excitable kind of guy, but here's where I get excited. If you look at verse 10 and 11, it says this, pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stoves, raise the banner for the nations. Friends, that's what I believe our church family is gonna be about, not only next year, but years to come, raising the banner. Raising the banner of our king in his victory. The third way we see God expressing his love is he delights in us. He delights in us. For some of us, that's kind of hard to get our head around. So I'll just put it, he actually likes you. He actually likes you. Not because he has to, but he actually just likes you. Because for some of us, our view of God, it was interesting, as I prepared for this, I did some Google searches for classic art of depictions of God the Father, and I bet this won't surprise you, but a majority of the classic art that I found in my short Google searches showed God the Father as a balding old guy with a long beard, and he looked like he just ate some Christmas dessert that had sat out too long, or a sour pickle, or you name it, but it just, he did not look happy. He looked grumpy, he looked like he was mad, he looked like I had done something wrong, That's the picture throughout the centuries I think many people and maybe some of us have had of God the Father. But I'm telling us Isaiah 62 says something different. He delights in you. Zephaniah tells us that he dances and sings over us. He takes pleasure in you. He's interested in you. He's interested in the things that you're interested in. I think the, one of the best pictures, if you were with us last week, Clayton painted a beautiful picture that I will never forget. Where he talked to us about how he, almost every night, will whisper this into his little girl's ears. I love being your dad. Friends, can you hear your Heavenly Father whispering that same thing in your ear? I love. Oh, man. When you hear those kind of words, you can run through a brick wall. You can can do things that the world kind of goes, they don't get it. But when you start to understand he loves being your dad, it changes everything. It changes everything. Verse five. Verse five talks about a young man marries a young woman. So will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I haven't done a lot of weddings as a pastor yet. I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of weddings as a photographer. One of the best parts about both photographer and being a pastor when they're standing right here, the manliest of the manly, the studliest of the studly, the man's man, they are most of the time blubbering idiots. Well, that's not a nice way to say it. They are, they're, they're weeping. I have quickly found out that having a clean handkerchief is a must-have as a pastor in that situation. Because when they see their bride, something clicks. And they have an emotion that they aren't ready for. There is a love that they can't express and it just comes out in the gooiest and grossest way, but it is something sweet and beautiful when that happens. And friends, your father is marrying you. That's the kind of emotion he has for you, his bride. That wedding signifies a new relationship that we have with God. Think about this for a minute. Think about when we think about Calvary and all the stuff that Jesus went through in those final hours. When we think a crown of thorns, but to Jesus, he was wearing a bridegroom's priestly headwear. When we picture blood-stained clothes at the cross, but to Jesus, it was a wedding garment. His Calvary joy was wedding day joy. That changes that whole picture. He did it willfully. He wanted to go to the cross because he loves Verse 11, as we wrap up, says this It says that the Lord has sent this message. So, hear this again, church. Hear this again, friends. You will be called holy people because the Lord works in us, therefore, it's His holiness and not our sin that He sees. You will be called redeemed of the Lord because He has brought us back, He has paid all our debts. You are sought after. His love came after us. His love fought for us. His love rescued us. He found you. He left the 99 to find you. And you are a city that is not forsaken, a city no longer deserted. Friends, you will never be abandoned by God, by God who loves you. As we close out this calendar year, let that sink in. You are God's holy people. You're redeemed of the Lord. You're sought after. And you will never be deserted. So I'm going to end our time with where we started. Looking back with gratitude for a God that loves us. Wasn't that we did things right? Wasn't that we bring anything to the table? He still loves us. And it's fun to look forward with anticipation to what's coming. Because, friends, our God will fight for us, He will work in us, and He delights over us. Will you pray with me? Today, Lord Jesus, we pray that as the year 2024 would be a time that we grow closer to you and experience your love in a greater way. And it's for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant to each of us to be strengthened with power through his spirit. And as we approach the end of this year and go into the next year, I pray that every person in this room, every person who is worshiping along with us in their own home, that they, each one, might experience a deeper intimacy with Jesus. That Jesus will make his home in their hearts, in the heart of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Jesus, I pray that we would be rooted and grounded in love and that we might have the strength to comprehend how wide, how high, how long, and how deep your love is. Jesus, I pray that we experience your love that is too great to even fully understand. And through that love, that we might be complete with all the fullness of life, and the power that comes from you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you move and work amongst us today. Breathe your fresh breath of life into us right now. Fill us with that love. Make it so real that we feel like we can touch it, that we can taste it. Make us alive again. Set us on fire for you, Jesus. I pray, too, that you will fill us with your wisdom, with your courage, with your strength, and with your mercy. Now all the glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen.